0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the Chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Welcome to our 6pm live stream. Uh, everyone who is at home and everyone who is here, all of about six of us, um, we're really grateful that we can be together. Thank you, Linnea. A uh, special shout out to Kerry Logan, our Armidale campus pastor, who is um, whose birthday it is today. So Kerry, we love you. We're grateful for you. You're a wonderful woman of God and happy birthday to you. Hope that you're celebrating. Andy, you had better be spoiling her and, uh, and we're just spending, sending a special happy birthday to you. So this morning, our text is in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we're going to read through that. We're not starting with uh, anything else. We're just going to start with the Word of God today. And um, James chapter 2, verse 14. So uh, I think the scripture is going to come up on the screen. You can read along at home on your phone or whatever it might be that you've got a paper Bible if you're old fashioned like me. Here it is. Verse 14, James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. But there's nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Now, up to this point, church, I'm like, yes, James, preach. That's good stuff. And then it goes on and says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Uh, Awkward chuckle. Uh, We're talking about human sacrifice in a way that is using that as an example and condoning what he did. Is that really okay? Let's read on. You see that his faith and his actions were working together And his faith, it's okay, we're going to explain all of this. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Okay, well, that was an odd example. Let's continue to the next one. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? James, James for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, illuminate your word to us, we pray. We pray that we would be able to grasp it, Lord, that we would be able to take a hold of it. And as this passage tells us, that we'd be able to live it out tomorrow in our day-to-day lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Well, uh, James is the writer of this letter, and um, James was the half-brother of Jesus, same mum, different dad. And James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem right there at the start, and he's writing to Messianic Jews, that is Jews who um, believe Israel's scriptures or the Old Testament as we know it, and they actually have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's a bit different to the other letters that you see in the New Testament where it says Paul, an apostle, or Peter, an apostle, whoever identifies themselves and says to the church at. In fact, James is just writing to believers everywhere. And at this time in Jerusalem, he's writing to a bunch of people that are um, suffering extreme persecution from the leaders of the Jewish faith. They're suffering, they've just been through an extreme famine leading, leading to extreme poverty. And James is writing to them in a way that has these succinct wisdom sayings that are kind of reminiscent of the book of Proverbs, which makes sense because James as a good Jewish boy would have grown up on the book of Proverbs, but also contains notes and hints of the Sermon on the Mount and all of Jesus' teaching as we would expect in the New Testament because he's a half-brother of Jesus. He got to observe Jesus' life. He is an eyewitness to the life of Jesus all the way through and uh, you may have heard this said before, but, but surely James believing in his half-brother Jesus is proof of Jesus' divinity, because what would your brother have to do in order for you to believe that he was God amongst us, for you to believe that actually he died and risen again, and, and that you were willing to live and teach and die for him? What would your brother have to do for you to believe that he was the son of God? So so James, for us, is kind of proof that, that Jesus was who he said he was. So James chapter 1 is kind of an introduction. The book of James altogether has kind of these three parts about watching what you say um, and controlling your tongue, about avoiding sin and, and living a righteous and pure life, and, and also treating people the same. And that it's all introduced in chapter 1 and then spelt out across the book of James, and the Introduction to the passage that we just read is found in chapter one, verse 22. It says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So there's a few terms there that we're not familiar with, that they would have been completely familiar with, that says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. And we as modern Christian hearers, when we hear word, we hear the word, the word. When he says look into the word and don't just hear it, but do what it says. We think of the word of God being the Bible and mainly this second part, which is the New Testament. Well, when they heard word, they heard only this part, Israel's scriptures, the Old Testament. They weren't thinking word like we were, the whole thing and mainly this part. They were thinking just that old part. So when he says, don't just listen to the word, but also do what he says, they had a different picture than we did. And then when he says, look into the perfect law that gives freedom. We kind of go, ah, is he talking about the law of the Old Testament? Surely not. Like, what's he talking about there? For them, the law was the perfect law. They loved the law. The Jewish people loved the law. In Psalms chapter one, it says, or the first Psalm, it says, that blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. In Psalms 19, it says, that um, the man who looks into the perfect law, it refreshes his soul and it says, by your commands, your servant is warned and by him, um, he is helped and, and he endures in Psalm chapter 19. But what we know about the law is the law could never bring freedom. The law could never bring freedom. So when Jesus came, he evidenced this incredibly in the way that he taught, in the way that he lived. He showed the people, Torah, the law, can never bring you into freedom. He was showing the people of the first century that. And so when we see the perfect law of freedom, we know it's talking more more than the law. It's talking about who Jesus is and the freedom that he brings. And so we head to... The summary, because Jesus was asked to sum up the law. He said, I have not come away to do, I've not come to do away with the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And when he was asked to sum it up, we know that he said, Love God and love people. That is our modern way of summing up the whole law that Jesus just gave two commands. But in fact, in our modern reading of scripture, one of the things that we miss is that is not what Jesus said in its entirety. When he was asked, Jesus, what is the most important command? He said, the most important command is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that word, hear, O Israel, was the way that every Jewish person would start their prayers, hear. And, and that word shema was hear and obey, listen and obey. In, in, in the word shema is not just to hear, but also to do, to have a response Shema uh, Shema's found all through the scriptures, all through the Bible. When Hagar, who was pregnant, fled into the desert, into the wilderness, she cried out to God and, and God heard her and promised her something and said, I will act on your behalf. So she called her son Ishmael, which is a um, derivative from Shema. When Hannah was praying before God in the temple and crying and saying, I really want to have a baby. And God said, and God gave her one. She called him Samuel, which they would say Shamuel, which is just another Um, derived from this word, Shema, God hears. But not only God hears, God hears and acts. And so when it says, hear, O Israel, it's not just, listen to this, Israel. It's, Israel, I expect a response from you. I expect there to be something that is done if you hear. And so when when Jesus said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. He was saying, that looks like something, hear it but also do something out of that. And when he said, and love your neighbour as yourself, hear that, but let it look like something, make sure that you're doing something about it. And so James is picking up on this when he says in James chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Then you're just like someone who's listening, but you're not hearing and responding. You're not shema you're just hearing it. Someone challenged me on this this week. A friend texted me and was talking about phone calls and I said, well, what if I hate the phone? Like, I hate the phone. There's about three people that I can talk to for an extended period of time. One is my husband and, uh, and there's maybe one or two others. But apart from that, I really don't like the phone. And, um, and I, don't like, I don't like making calls, even though I love people. I find it hard and difficult and, and so I don't actually like receiving them. It's only because I love people that I will actually even pick up the phone And he said to me in the text, in his condemning text, he said, Bron, is this a problem to resolve or attention to manage? I was like, how dare you? (laughs) But in fact, he's right. It's attention to manage. Because if I claim to love people, and if love to some people looks like reaching out by phone, then that is something that I have to take care of. You see, if I, as a follower of Jesus, look the same as someone who isn't, but might say, just throw Jesus into the conversation every now and then or say, bless you when they sneeze. Then that is actually not what God is asking of me. It needs to look like something our faith needs to have some kind of outworking. You know, even this is right through the New Testament, John the Baptist, who kind of opens the New Testament, if you will. He, he, he talks and, and everyone's coming to re- towards him to be baptized, to, be, to repent and be baptized. And he looks out at the crowd and he says, you guys, what? You're coming now to be baptised? Like, you, you're going to repent? That's great. But if you're going to repent, your confession has to have a follow through. And, and, and it needs to look like something. I said, well, John, what do you want us to do? And he said, if you've got two tunics, you share with the person who has one. And if you've got food and someone else doesn't, you share with the person who has none. And we were like, well, what about our Super. What about our 401k? I don't know what a 401k is. I've just heard people say that. I think it's like the American version of Superlenae. Help me out. Is that what it is? Yes. Oh, Nailed it. Um, what, about, what about my retirement plan? Well, today, if you've got food and someone doesn't, you should be sharing with the person who doesn't. You know, we've got these um, compassion kids on our fridge. They're on our fridge to remind us to pray for them and to compel me to write to them. Because I'm terrible at writing to them, we're picking up on a central theme about communication here. But, but I'm terrible at writing to them. But, but my, uh, you know, I could look at those kids and go, well, that could be contributing one day to my retirement fund. And, and in all honesty, it is looking pretty bleak right now. But, but I figure that it's my disposable income. Whatever I can buy a cup of coffee. Des and I have determined in our hearts, whatever we can buy coffee, we can sponsor a child. And so that is our determination. John the Baptist said to um, the tax collectors, they said, What should we do? He said, Well, make sure you stop cheating people. Stop going with culture and what culture says is okay and what's uh, achievable and go with what God would have you do. And, and the soldiers said, Well, what should we do? And that, he said, Stop being fraudulent, stop coercing people. He's saying, Faith without deeds is useless. And then Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 7 and he says, he says There should be fruit of your righteousness. If I'm a tree of righteousness, then I should pop some fruit, and that fruit should look like something. And Jesus says that uh, on that day, that will only be the people who do the will of my Father that are able to come in, and people will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We said, Should bought a Buddha Honda want to come to Kawasaki? We said, Shiba Dem Nandal, Shiba Dem Nandal, Shiba Dem nundal, sheba Dem and." And then they even followed it up with a, for yea, surely we did all that in your name, Jesus. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You are evildoers. Why? Because I said, no, not at all. Because their faith only had this outworking when it should have had a practical outworking as well. A practical outworking, a spiritual outworking. It all should have looked like something that looked like compassion, that looked like mercy. In Romans, Paul says that you need to obey. It's all about obedience that flows out from your faith. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, we know this scripture well. It says that in fact, that I I could have all and understand and fathom the depths of all mystery and all knowledge. And I could prophesy all things. But if I don't have love, that I'm nothing. There needs to be this outworking of our faith. There needs to be an outworking. I could have the faith to move mountains, it says. But if I don't have love, then I have nothing. I go, oh, I'm, I'm mean, verse 18, but someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. So maybe like I've got the gift of faith and you've got the gift of generosity. and I've got the gift of faith and you've got the gift of um, charity. And James says to that, show me your faith without deeds And I will show you my faith by what I do, by what I do. Now, if you're just clocking on tonight, you're like, oh, I'm not really a church goer. This is an interesting passage. You know, you know better than any of us that that a Christian who claims the name of Jesus, claims to follow Jesus, and then doesn't look any different to the way that anyone else that you know lives, that you're like, yeah, well, why would I? Like, actually, I find that I'm more positive than them, that I'm definitely less stingy than them. I'm definitely less complainy and I'm definitely less gossipy. Why would I? And you understand this better than anything, that our faith should have an outworking that looks different. If we're going to say that we're following this person called Jesus and that he's God, that it should look like something. It says... You believe that there is one God. And this is a reference again to that Shema here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You believe there's one God. It says, good. But even the demons believe that and shudder. So our belief is not enough. Our belief is not enough. And then we get into this difficult passage, which in the last few minutes, I'm going to explain and unpack this difficult passage for you. It says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And we're like, what on earth is that about? Well, firstly, let's remember that Abraham was in a culture where sacrifice of children to gods was commonplace. That was not outside the realms of possibility. That was not outside his framework and paradigm and purview. That was normal for the day that he lived in. People, his his brothers, his sisters, his relatives, they would have It was commonplace to worship the gods through sacrifice. And so God enters into the story, calls Abraham out of his worship of these other gods and says, come and follow me. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Eventually gives him Isaac and says, it's through Isaac that this promise will be reckoned to Abraham. You're going to have this nation through Isaac. And then one day says, hey, I need you to sacrifice him to me. So Abraham, on the one hand, is like, well, that's pretty normal for gods. They they like you to sacrifice your children back in that ancient day. But also, in the back of his mind, Hebrews tells us that he knew that Abraham was the one through whom the nation would be reckoned, through whom the promise would come. And Hebrews says that, in fact... He knew that even if he obeyed God, he had enough faith in the promise of God that God would raise Isaac from the dead, even if he followed him all the way through to that sacrifice. But in fact, a much bigger story was going on here. And God was like, you're familiar with human sacrifice? Well, okay, I'm going to come into the story and I'm going to provide for you an animal over in the thicket over there. And instead, we're going to sacrifice an animal rather than a human. Is that better? Yes. Is that best? Not yet. Because there's going to be a one-time sacrifice way down the track where God is just having a shadow and, and, and betraying what's to come with this lamb caught in the thicket of God providing the sacrifice. So Abraham, his faith was tied to his actions now, does that story now automatically fit into our culture and our modern day thinking? Definitely not. But is it, is it faith and actions together? Absolutely. So then we head through and it says that the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does. Abraham's faith and deeds were intricately linked. Verse 25, in the same way, was not even Ab- Rahab the prostitute now we've got to remember that for us, we're like, who is Rahab and why is she a prostitute? Who is Abraham and why is he sacrificing his son? But for the people that James is writing to, they're like, they've grown up with these stories. This is part of their narrative. This is part of their history. It's like me learning about World War II and, and about Hitler and Stalin. The, this is common knowledge for them. And so Rahab was a woman that in their historical narrative, she was in the city of Jericho and they'd come out of Egypt and Moses had died. You might be familiar with some of these names. And Joshua was taking them into the promised land. And there was the city of Jericho. And, and he sent two, uh, some spies into the city of Jericho. And they go into Rahab the prostitute's house. I don't know how they went back and explained that to Joshua, but that's what they did. And then they found out, Jericho, the city government officials found out that there were spies in Jericho. And so Rahab hid them on her roof. They have flat roofs at that time, like some nations still do today, and she hid them under um, some bushels, had them lie down and hide under there, and people came banging on a door and said, where are the spies, Rahab? We saw them enter in here. She said, oh no, when, um, when it was time to go, they, they left the city gates, and so the pursuers fled out to look and pursue um, these two spies. Well, Rahab goes up to the roof, and she says, you know what? I'm actually gonna read it to you because it's super cool. It's found in Joshua Chapter 1 or 2, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and second Samuel, Kings, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles. Joshua, chapter 2, it says this. This is what she said to them. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water out of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what he did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you, because the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. And it goes on. They're going to invade the city. They're going to spare Rahab and her family in this conquest and conquering of the the nation that they've been given to inhabit. And so they, they, Rahab, her faith in God has a deed that follows and she lets the spies out of her window in some baskets and they go and are able to report to their general, Joshua. So her faith followed through with an action. They said to her, we're going to come back. And what you need to do in order to be spared is hang this Scarlet thread out your window. Again, just like with Abraham, an echo of what was to come. The scarlet thread representing the scarlet thread that's woven all through Scripture, who is Jesus and who would eventually uh, pay the price for all of us. Pretty cool story when you look at it through the total narrative and not just through our modern day eyes. And so James gives a sum up statement to all of that. James says... In the same way it was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Verse 26, summary statement, as the body without the spirit or without the breath is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So in these final moments, I'm just gonna give you three things about faith and deeds. Number one is faith and deeds is to all people, All. You see, Jesus told the story of someone who was beaten up and mugged and robbed on the road to Jericho, which is um, the city that we just read about. And the religious people passed him by, but someone who was supposed to be this person's enemy stopped and helped. And Jesus was telling that story when he was asked, who is my neighbour? And Jesus flipped the question on its head and said, well, really, it's not about who is your neighbour, but whose neighbour is. Are you, and the instruction is to be a neighbor to all of humanity. No matter if they're like you, no matter if they like you, be a neighbor to everyone that you come across. To everyone. And not only that, it says, especially the family of believers. So we're to be a neighbour to everyone. We're to love everybody. Our good deeds are to flow out to everybody and especially the family of believers. And some people can arc up at that a little bit and go, well, why is it especially to the family of believers? That sounds a little bit... Well, if you've got a problem with it, just stick with the all because (laughs) the family of believers is included in that all. But you should get this. Like even the mafia get this. Every mafia movie I've ever seen is like, Johnny, you're part of the family now. We're going to look after you. That is my very excellent... Godfather impersonation, which I have not seen, but used to be my husband's favourite movie. Um, fun fact. Uh, so, so they understand. Even the mafia understand that that you look after your family. Well, we're supposed to be in this family, so we're supposed to look after each other. You might say, well, I haven't really been looked after. Well, why don't you start to produce works that are in keeping with your faith, and you just start, you just start showing the good deeds, all everybody to anybody and everybody. Number two act, have a bias to action, have a bias to action. You see, Jesus, when he was in the temple, he came out and there was this leafy, or as he was on his way in, he saw this leafy fig tree and everything looked good and everything looked beautiful, but it had no fruit. And so Jesus goes into the temple. He does what he has to do in there. And then he, but he curses the fig trees like, you've got no fruit. You look good, but you've got no fruit. And he heads into the temple, does what he needs to do, comes out and the fig tree has shriveled up and died. Why? because it looked good, but it had no fruit. We need to act. Our faith has to have action attached. It has to be to everybody. It has to act. And finally, it has to be alive. One of the things that I've learned across my very, 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 very long life is that muscles without use atrophy or atrophy. I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce that word, but there's a there's a why in it, and it's either atrophy or atrophy, that you need your muscles to be working. They need to be exercised in order to not go dead and, and just atrophy. Well, we need our faith to be exercised, and one of the ways that we exercise it is through our deeds to everybody with a bias towards action so that our faith might remain alive, alive in faith, acting a bias towards action, and to whom? To all. Faith without deeds is as James says, useless. So tonight, do your deeds cause you to be right with God? Well, the whole New Testament says, no, that's not the case. But if you have faith in Christ, the deeds should follow. If you are a tree of righteousness, there should be a fruit that shows up, and that is actually deeds that are good deeds, that are charitable deeds, that care for the widow and the orphan. So tonight, I just want you know, I want us to turn our eyes towards what the week that's coming. Are there things in your life that are like the phone for me that you don't know, feel like you can do it, but actually it's attention to manage rather than a problem to fix? Are there things that you know that God is leading you toward and calling you to and and you need to um, just take a step into? What are those things for you? I'm going to pray and uh, and then we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to um, put the number on the screen. So let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would compel us and propel us into deeds of action, Lord, that display our faith. Lord, we pray that our faith would look like something that obedience would roll out from our faith. We want to be those who trust you, Lord, who believe in you and who act, Lord, in the way that you want us to. Help us to do that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue the conversation. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you.